Welcome to Conversing Cinema, a podcast about films from India and occasionally beyond. Your co-hosts are Deepak Mahan and me, Julian Caldry. Before we get started with episode one, I'll take a moment to introduce the history behind this show. I first met Deepak many years ago at a screenwriting conference in Mumbai. We're both fairly mature gentlemen and perhaps three times the average age of the other participants at the conference, so there was a certain inevitability to our meeting. For those who don't already know him, Deepak is an award-winning writer, documentarian, filmmaker and commentator who's a regular fixture in many publications and university campuses across India. By contrast, I'm an expatriate Australian who's lived in India for the best part of a decade. I'm also a writer and filmmaker, but my knowledge of the vast terrain of Indian cinema is still evolving. Despite our different backgrounds, we both share a deep love of film, and what we hope to do in this show is create an ongoing conversation that's interesting to seasoned Indian cinema lovers, as well as those like me who are keen to know more. And now, on with the show. Welcome to Conversing Cinema. This is our first episode, and for our first episode, we've decided to talk about Devanand. Uh, the reason being that the 26th of September will be his centenary birthday, so what better occasion to celebrate one of the, the great artists of Hindi cinema and really understand a bit more about who he was, why people loved him so much, his career, and also how was he as a person? What was he like? So Deepak, you're a bit of an expert on Devanand, right? Uh, I wouldn't say that, but I'm pretty glad that I spent some time with him, not on an everyday basis, but regularly meeting him off and on when I was in Bombay. And we glued to each other. We liked each other's company. So in a way, I was blessed that I had his cherished company. I'm keen to know a little bit more about some of those personal experiences that you had, and we'll come back to that a little bit later in the conversation. But I wanted to start off with the basics, and I want to hear from you about who was he on screen? Why was he so beloved? What did people see in him as a star and an actor? Just remember that he came into films around 1946, a little before the Indian partition took place, and the Britishers left India, India got independent, and Pakistan was made, followed by rioting in the northern part of India and almost about a million people getting killed. And that was the time when he stepped into on the Hindi film firmament. And from that time onwards up till about 1970, there were three stars in Indian film industry who rode like a colossus. This trinity was Dilip Kumar, Raj Kapoor and Devanand. Now, uh, these three were kind of actors who came together almost around the same time. They gelled very well. And yet they had their distinct niche in which they performed. Not that they were not uh, versatile. They were. But they kind of uh, made place in the people's hearts with a particular kind of an image. And those images rode uh, larger than life in people's imaginations. So while Dilip Kumar was personifying the sad, melancholic Indian, the suffering Indian, 
the kind of Indian we had seen uh, in the pre-independent India. And uh, the man who would always sacrifice everything for the beloved or for the family, a person extremely loyal. This was the kind of image within which most of the films uh, portrayed Dilip Kumar on screen. On the other side was Raj Kapoor. He was the pavement dweller, chaplainless, kind of very intelligent, innocent, yet always playing the buffoon, always bearing out the uh, heart or the tears. So in a certain way, that man played the underdog all the time. And uh, people had a kind of a sympathy for both these characters. But in came this dashing, handsome, very charming man called Devanand, who had a smile which was very magnetic, who was slightly urban, sophisticated. He had an appeal. Girls uh, loved his dimples and his toothy smile. And there was something which was a, a kind of word that English language alone has, chutzpa. He was somebody who could be slightly roguish, yet you loved him. He was slightly impish. And he was somebody whom you looked up to because while the other two gave you a little bit of uh, sadness and made the life a little bit more heavy, when he appeared, most of his roles, personas, were those that gave people hope. And these three were romantics on screen. They were wooing their girls. But Devanand was doing it with a certain smile. He had a certain mannerism, which people really liked. So his uncommon approach to romancing, to laughing, and basically uh, a joy de vivre that was there in his personality appealed to people. And I think that was the reason why Devanand had a charisma. It's interesting. And I can, rec I can recognize a lot of what you're saying in what I've been watching over the past few days. Um, I was not familiar with Devanand's work, so I'm encountering it and him for the first time. And the, the thing that immediately jumped out at me as I was watching some of his movies is this sort of, like you were saying, really urbane, really sophisticated, but also there's a, an element of vulnerability or sort of in some of the, the material that I've watched, he portrays moral conflicts very transparently. Yes. And I found that really appealing too because often when you position an actor as, you know, very stylish, very urbane, very powerful in that way, mm. there's a temptation to make them invincible as Correct. characters. But in the stuff that I've watched um, of his, that is very much not the case. There's a there's a vulnerability, which I also found very appealing because there's that tension between the way he moves through spaces and scenes and the way that people look at him, very attractive actor, yes. and yes. that underlying conflict or uh, moral dilemma that he is able to convey really subtly on his face. So that was the thing that immediately jumped out at me. When you're talking about the distinctions between those three actors and the fact that Devanand was this more sort of urban cosmopolitan kind of persona, what was particularly appealing about that to people? All those years before the cinema, people had a lot of mythology to fall upon. So all the characters were kind of rooted. There were certain 
dogmatic outlines by which these people were portrayed in paintings in stories and even when they played these uh, mythical roles on stage there were certain garbs and all which people would adorn and there were certain set styles in which they would speak now when cinema started in india initially it had a lot of parsi influence where parsi theater uh, i must uh, remind you had loud dialogue delivery and in effect also uh, a lot of accoutrements um, which were uh, stylized colored highly garish and this is how films initially started with those kind of stories raja harish chandra and ram rajya and all that. but when these people came in ashok kumar dilip kumar devanand raj kapoor and then the subsequent uh, breed and also some of the heroines like uh, Uh, Nargis, Meena Kumari, Suraya, Madhubala. They gave a certain uh, sense to people that cinema was something part of their life. Yet, what happened was that if Dilip Kumar portrayed a scene, he was an exceptional thespian, no doubt about it. But there was something, an element of uh, earthiness in him, which was sort of achievable. similarly raj kapoor kind of people were uh, seen in almost most of the towns but here was the, the devanand who seemed to be polished graceful very gentle here was a man whom people had not seen before a man who came up with better dress sense than most indians at that time who came up with different styles of collars and hats and uh, scarves played harmonica or played the guitar this was not a common man he was out of the ordinary and this was the kind of persona most people wanted to attain or become and similarly when he laughed and when he sang on screen there was again that word which i used earlier chutspa there was always a kind of impishness there was a kind of a man who was a friendly rogue i would say who would be teasing and uh, enticing you and you wanted to also sweep your girl off in the same manner so he lent something which was very original and that i think appealed to a very vast fraternity of cinegoers and that's why he uh, became a symbol of romance for most indians and a symbol of aspiration from what you're saying as well so perhaps this idea that um this kind of sophistication is something for people to aspire to or people wanted to to be part of that kind of urbanity and sophistication that he represented on screen yes yes absolutely absolutely you are absolutely right it was i think because his screen persona became a kind of a metaphor for a romantic man here was a man who knew his mind he knew how to dress up he knew how to carry his girl he knew how to walk up to her he knew how to propose here was a man who knew his own mind and that is why i think very early in his life he started his own banner because he wanted to make the kind of films that he had in mind and his films ultimately were able to convey that persona very powerfully on the screen and that's why he became uh, a big heartthrob of the masses so let's talk about his career trajectory a little bit now so so before his peak which we'll get to in a moment how did he start off in the industry what was he doing in his early movies 
even in his biography and even in some of his private moments, he has confessed that he was very ashamed of his earlier films. And Ham Ek Hai, which was his first film, uh, is something, uh, actually, it's, uh, you can't, uh, if you see that film, it's just that I think there is something up in the stars which makes you a superstar. There's something in, I don't know whether it is luck or destiny, whatever it is. But if somebody was to go by the first film of uh, Devanand, as well as Raj Kapoor, I think if I was to be a financer at that time, I would have rejected them after that. But he himself says he, he was very uncomfortable. He didn't know anything about camera angles. He didn't know anything about acting. But gradually he grew into it. And uh, I think he was one of those people like Dilip Kumar, Raj Kapoor. He also understood cinematics, the techniques of the camera, the role of the playback singing, that is music in the film, and how that song could carry the story forward. He also had that perception very finely tuned. And that is why all these three played characters which were distinctly suited to their own personas. And uh, so initial films of his, Hamek, Hai, Aage Bado, or Mohan, or Hambi Insan Hai, Anamuna, and all those films were uh, kind of tolerable. You just had to suffer them. But gradually, as he came in, and uh, he also, in his first film, he had uh, formed a friendship with the famous director later on, Gurudat. Gurudat was the choreographer in Ham Ek Hai. And they kind of uh, became very close friends when they were shooting in Pune. Friendship came to a point where finally they said that if I become a very big star, I'll see to it that you direct my film. And Gurudat said that if I become a director, I'll certainly see to it. Or if I become a big producer, I'll see to it that I take you. And Gurudat did uh, get his break in a Navketan film. And from that time onwards, I think uh, Devanand took off because these uh, films, Bazi, Jal, they changed his entire persona. Of course, earlier also, Afsar and Andhya or Taxi Driver, others which were directed by his own elder brother, they too uh, started making the dent. And he knew what he could play and what he could not. And that is why he never took roles which were about a rural countryside folk or a farmer or something of that sort because he knew those were not up his street. So that way I think his very was very sophisticated. And one greater thing also about all these three, Dilip Kumar and uh, Devanand, they were both graduates. Raj Kapoor was just up to, uh, I think he had passed his school. But let me tell you that I have not seen better readers in the film industry than these three. Russian literature was from A to Z had been read by Raj Kapoor as also Shakespeare. Similarly, Dilip Kumar, anything in English literature or in Hindi or in Urdu and same with Devanand. He had read all the classics. He knew so much about uh, everybody from Charles Dickens to in Jane Austen or uh, O. Henry, um, uh, Emily Dickinson. So very well versed and that's why they knew exactly what kind of persona would fit them and those were the kind of films that they always aimed for that's really fascinating so it sounds like there was quite a, a long apprenticeship 
for Devon and, and for also some of his contemporaries. But at some point, all of those elements clicked into place and his you know, mature persona was able to express itself in his work. Um, what do you think allowed, what were those elements that finally coalesced to really produce the, the actor and the presence that people, people understand him to be now? What were those things that really clicked into place? I think uh, one is that uh, since he knew four languages, English, Hindi, Urdu, and Punjabi, so that gave him a fairly good sprinkling of literature of four languages. And the second thing was that he had been uh, uh, tutored in one of the finest colleges of that time, the government college, Lahore, and he had uh, graduated in English uh, literature. That gave him a certain sense of poetry, of literature. He also knew what uh, uh, kind of passages or what kind of stories appeal to the heart. And drawing from those uh, classics, he kind of realized that he was a man who was basically uh, too urbane and he wanted to get along and move ahead in life. And this was the Nehruvian age where uh, Nehru was trying to modernize India. And of course, all three of these people were very close to Nehru and they in their own way were projecting not just the personas, but also films which uh, portrayed great brotherhood. They were trying to salvage and bring a certain kind of calmness to the subcontinent after the great holocaust of the partition. So he knew that he appealed very largely to the urban audiences of the cities, the metropolitans. And that is why he played roles, of course, which were not necessarily uh, just of the upper middle class or the upper echelons of the society. No, he played a taxi driver or he played a um, person who was a pickpocket. Yet he knew that in that too, the sensibilities that he conveyed were very, very modern. They were very, very uh, city-oriented. And in a certain way, uh, he projected that dynamism of a man who was full of energy, full of uh, fun, frolic, and somebody who was a go-getter, not just getting the girl, but also somebody who, by twisting the law here and there a little bit, could get his way around and make the opponents come down on their knees. Now, this is something which was very, very smart move on his part. And that is why I think most of his films were very much liked and they were big hits in metropolitan areas. And mind you, in those days, the cinema largely existed in towns, not in villages. Not. People were now migrating from villages to cities. And this was the ideal time for him to project a slick city man who knows his mind, a man who can get his way around, and a man who was determined to get to his zenith. And he did it in his own uh, stylish manner, which was very unique. Nobody had done it before, and nobody has been able to copy his mannerism, his style of speaking. That was something which really gelled, and I think that's why I would call him a winner. So it wasn't just a matter of him becoming a better actor and understanding how he came across on screen. <clears throat> From what you're saying, he also had a, a very good understanding of what was happening politically and socially 
yes, during yes. the time that he was working, and also commercially in cinema. So he knew who his audience was, where they lived, what they wanted to see, and he was able to kind of tailor his own presence and his the characters he was portraying to really appeal to all of those different elements. Yes, yes. So you mentioned before that at a certain point in his career he, he wanted to take more control of what he was doing, which makes sense in terms of what you just talked about. So when all those elements became clear to him, I imagine that he then had a very clear sense of what he should be doing in terms of the roles and films that he wanted to make. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that period in his career, uh, really peak period when he was working with his brothers and producing films with uh, Vijayan Chetan. Talk a little bit about that period. Uh, you see, he started his career in 46. And by 1949, when he had given a few hits and he felt a uh, little secure, he thought that rather than spending money and going to another producer, maybe if he could also invest a little bit of his own money in his own studio or his own banner, then maybe he could also make films which were closer to his heart. And that's what appealed to his elder brother also, Chetan Anand, by that time had uh, made a film called Nicha Nagar, which was based on a story by Khwaja Ahmed Abbas. And it was about what a problem, uh, imagine his foresight of what we are facing today all around the world. The water scarcity was something that was taken up by Chetan Anand at that time. And that film won an award in Karlovi Film Festival. And so, uh, and Chetan Anand also had sensibilities which were drawn from his uh, education at Shanti Niketan, then also being a broadcaster at BBC, and also being a teacher at the famous English school, Doon School, Dehradun. So all this, the two of the brothers, they uh, were always on conversing cinema. And third brother, Vijayanand, who was, was studying in Bombay, winning a lot of accolades at university level for his uh, theater writing. And he was winning awards on uh, various competitions in colleges and universities. Even at All India level, he won competition for the best director as well as best writer for theater. So they knew that here was a man who was uh, also in following their footsteps. And so they felt very comfortable that if they had their own banner. And hence they started. And they started with a film called Afsar, which was their first film. Not done on a very expansive budget. So it could have gave them a good return and it gave them a foothold. So then Chetan Anand also directed him in Andhya, which was another very serious film. Then they came up with a film called Taxi Driver. Now here was something because Andhya bombed very badly on the, on the box office. And they were feeling the heat and that's why they also called in uh, and Gurudat was also given a chance. And uh, Gurudat made Bazi, which was a box office hit. And Gurudat himself was established. And it also brought in uh, a kind of um, playback singing and how it was enacted on the screen. Uh, Gurudat was a master in shooting song sequences. And so this gave them enough confidence. And then... One day they came across this particular story, Taxi Driver, which was actually written by uh, this uh, brother of theirs. And uh, immediately they sat down to it. 
it was actually suggested by chetan anand's wife uma anand who also uh, had very fine sensibilities and she came from a literary family and uh, they all sat down and when they heard that taxi driver they were fascinated and this taxi driver was one of the first films which was uh, done outdoors almost 100% of it was shot on the roads and that's why on a very shoestring budget because uh, a couple of you know, films in between had bombed but then talk taxi driver came in was a big hit taxi driver was directed by chetan anand but uh, after taxi driver also they had fantoosh kinare kinare which were directed by chetan anand but after kinare kinare there was a kind of a creative differences between the two elder brothers chetan felt that devanand was making films which were too much oriented towards commercial success and in the process some of the very serious subjects were not being looked into whereas chetan wanted subjects which were socially a little more introspective a little more penetrative so they had creative differences and he kind of went away and in stepped the younger brother and the younger brother uh, said that he would like to direct devanand initially was very hesitant but when they realized that it was earlier his script that had become a big hit they gave him the chance and he really proved himself and this was something up the sleeve uh, he was a director uh, from the go and i think the first film vijayanand gave did for they was uh, Mm, yeah, no do gyara. If I remember correctly, no do gyara. So it was a runaway hit, and Vijayanand was established, and subsequently Vijayanand went on to do ten different films. The best films that he did for Devanand, I would say, would be Kala Bazaar, Tere Ghar Ke Samne, Guide, and Jewel Thief. Some even say Johnny Mera Naam, Tere Mere Sapne. But those were Johnny Mera Naam was a different kind of a film. and made for another banner and tere mere sapne again uh, was not a big hit and is not one of my favorite films in any way so this was obviously a period of a lot of commercial su- success but also a lot of artistic success as well and when i was watching some clips from guide i was really struck by the technical aspects of the filmmaking and how beautiful the film was actually you yeah. mentioned before as well that there was some you know some progression in terms of how music was used particularly playback singing and how that was portrayed on screen so was this a collaboration that also pushed the form of hindi cinema forward as well one must give you a little bit of background in the sense that initially guide was just suggested to him as a novel by somebody in us and he read it on one go that is devanand and he decided to make it actually in english and hindi together oh interesting and the uh, initial discussions led to this that the screenplay would be written by pearls buck the famous author of good earth and uh, the hindi you know, would be based basically whatever she would write and it would be kind of translated and shot accordingly and chetan anand was appointed as the director because uh, do remember that they only had creative differences they didn't have any kind of bad blood between the brothers they went on and they got on very well and in between also uh, they 
always uh, mentored each other or they bounced off stories and scripts between one another and Chetan Anand was making his own kind of films but and there was no bad blood between them. So Chetan Anand was asked to do guide because they felt that once that English film would be shot, it was decided that side by side and the English film was to be directed by uh, a director called Tad Danieliski. And uh, they thought that he would uh, direct one scene. Then the same scene would be directed on the same shot, the same sequence, the same location with the Hindi translation being uh, directed by Chetan Anand. And the time in between would give the actors uh, period enough to learn their Hindi dialogues. Initially, uh, things went off okay for a couple of days. But then Chetan Anand being Chetan Anand, highly evolved and a very nice, sophisticated gentleman. Uh, I had met him also and his uh, son actually Ketan Mehta happens to be a good friend of mine. Chetan was also very, very inspired intellectual. So he felt that whatever was being done by the English director, if that was to be followed in Toto in the Hindi script, that would be a disaster. And Chetan said, let's uh, have the entire Hindi schedule later on. Let them finish the English film and then we'll decide on our own. The English film was made at a breathtaking space uh, and then subsequently Chetan Anand could not do that film because he had to make a film on Indochina war for which he had applied for a grant to the Punjab government and the Punjab government was you know very generous with their uh, money and they said you must make this film on the sacrifice of the soldiers and so he took permission from Dev. Now, there was a dilemma as to who should step in as a director. So Devanand uh, then turned to his younger director and uh, uh, Vijay Anand, popularly known in the film fraternity as Goldie Anand, was, uh, you know, he went through the English screenplay. He, he just threw it away and he said, if you want me to direct, I have to rewrite the whole screenplay again. And he rewrote the whole uh, screenplay. The English guide and the Hindi guide are actually completely different in terms of their endings and in terms of their content and in their in the term uh, i would say terms of uh, execution and i must confess that vijay anand's film certainly is superior and was proven superior by the kind of thumping success it became and it was a very very difficult topic to take and produce. Remember, it was a story about a woman in those days in 1960s to talk about an extramarital affair of a woman mm. walking out of a marriage uh, on account of impotence of the man mm. and then falling in love with a travel guide of a city. And then uh, the man contributing to the success of that woman who otherwise is being vilified by the society, yet he stands by her and then he makes her a big commercial successful dancer, a stage dancer. In the process, over the period of time, they have differences and then, of course, they fall apart. In this metamorphosis, he becomes a kind of a person who is very, involved, uh, very evolved, very enlightened, and he, in a kind of, attains a state of 
bliss. Guide won somewhere around, I think, seven or nine Filmfare Awards, was universally acclaimed. The English film died a you know, very silent death all around the world, didn't have much of returns. Yet the Navketan banner went high with the success of Guide. And I must add, uh, Julian, one more thing. Dave has always been seen by most people as a romantic superstar, a, a cinematic um, persona. But what people do not understand, and this is largely the fault of critics, these days there is this uh, regular practice of saying such and such uh, youngster has played an anti-hero or something of that sort all the time. But let me tell you that People like Dilip Kumar and Devanand played anti-heroes much, much earlier than most other people care to remember. They played a pickpocketer. He played a man who is going around counterfeiting. He also played a man who was uh, in a particular film called Bombay Kababu where there are uh, incestual uh, stirrings in him. Now this in an Indian society, uh, the country had gone independent but had suffered uh, huge religious fanaticism in that particular era to play these kind of roles. Similarly, Dilip Kumar in Amar played a rapist. Now, how many people would play that? And in Guide also, I think as a producer and as an actor, he took a huge risk of playing a man who is defying the society he is leading that girl and he is the man who actually motivates and inspires that woman to walk out of that uh, useless marriage. How many people would have courage to do that? So hats off to Devanand for that. It's actually fascinating to connect that particular example, the character that he plays in Guide, with his more general persona that we talked about before, this very aspirational, very... Urbane, very progressive persona in, yeah. the, in the context of the society at that time. And it makes sense to me that he would marry that persona up with characters that did maybe question or push the boundaries of what was conventionally moral at that yes. time. And clearly yeah. audiences loved it. I mean, it was a huge success. So they must have embraced that combination of Devanand and also yes. this character who was really stepping outside what would have been considered acceptable morally but in a very positive way yes guide in a certain way was a milestone not just of filmmaking but also of changing the sensibility of the indian masses opening up a kind of a liberated woman whom they had not seen earlier and she gelled she was lauded the credit actually goes to uh, of course, the screenplay writer and Vijay Anand for the manner in which he executed the entire story on screen. But one has to uh, praise Devanand as a producer, as an actor, to take that risk. And in such a dogmatic uh, country where we see that the smallest of uh, infringement gives rise to an excuse that hurt my feelings and they go in for a riot. I must let you know into one secret which not many people know. Guide film also was initially opposed by a lot of people. Even the censor board said that this was a film which was uh, hurting 
the sentiments of uh, people it was against the entire identity of marriage at that time the information and broadcasting minister was mrs indira gandhi and he appealed to her he wrote to her and asked her to see it personally she saw the film she applauded it and within a day the film was granted the censor certificate and that's how it became a big success and paradoxically they were very good friends both indira gandhi and devanand but devanand was as a person also very alive to the social situation of the country the economic situation of the country and uh, very uh, well read man always traveling around the world meeting people and so when indira gandhi actually imposed emergency in india in 1975 he was one of the first persons who vocally came out and opposed her and said to people and put it in print also that a democrat as great as jawaharlal nehru a man who put in the foundations of democracy in india his daughter should not be trampling democracy in india in any way and uh, indira gandhi took it very sportingly he even floated the idea of having a political party so let's talk about that period in his career after this golden period with so many hits and you know so many films that still remain mainstays today so his career did start to decline what was the reason for that i think one of the major reasons was that after the influx of uh, 1980s when the color television came in and also the uh, video came in and while many of us who had uh, studied in convent schools were regular goers to the hollywood films which were largely screened on saturdays and sundays so we were familiar but the large mass of population was completely uh, you know away from the english influences so suddenly when the video came in and they saw a lot of english films and especially the brutal actual films of uh, bruce lee and uh, kirk douglas and these kinds of films also influenced the producers and directors in india then of course the one man army that suddenly came in in the form of amitabh bachchan now bachchan era completely demolished the kind of films that were being made from 50s to 70s earlier the films had a lot more of family values a lot more of emotions a lot more of uh, softness in them the stories were basically palatable to uh, people right from a laborer down to the president of the country they they started making films where one man went around demolishing vigilante who gave justice now this after the emergency when people had been you know denied their basic freedoms by the government for almost about close to about 2 years or so the explosion on screen of films which were uh, full of violence and full of anti establishment rhetoric completely gave way to films which were bombastic which were very very voluble and which were very loud add to that the video and the uh, color television brought in a lot of heavy metal music 
from the West. And people like R.D. Burman, Bappi Lahiri, Kalyanji, Anandji uh, literally uh, drove the nail in the coffin of the good melodic compositions of the 50s and 60s or up till about 70s. So Devanand suddenly found, like him, Devanand, Raj Kapoor, Dilip Kumar, of course, age had caught up with them. Devanand in 80s was somewhere around in his 60s. But the lure or I would say the vanity of a film star got into his head. He was such a wonderful human being on a personal level, so humane, so soft, so compassionate, so gentle, extremely caring, extremely sensitive. But somehow he misread the whole cinematic scenario in India. And he continued to play the hero. I think he would have done very well if he had gradually transformed into character roles. This is something that Dilip Kumar did. Dilip Kumar went on to do roles which were worthy of his age. But Devanand somehow the other continued to play the hero, a romantic hero. That romantic persona somehow took center stage in his head. And the, he was kind of suddenly dropped by most synagogues because he was playing characters which did not suit him both with his age and also for the fact that he was romancing girls who were in their teens on screen. This was most unacceptable to most people. And the problem that also got uh, multiplied was also that a couple of his films with Hema Malini, a film called Amir Garib and a film called Janeman, they became big box office successes. And this uh, became a kind of a trend that he went on now looking for that uh, elusive box office hit, which did not come. And so the last 20 odd years of his uh, existence, I think his choices were very wrong. And since others were not picking him up, he started making his own films. And since uh, Vijay Anand also, on a personal level, they had some family problems, which I would not like to disclose in public, because of which the two brothers drifted apart and Vijay Anand stopped directing for him. And so Devanand suffered. And Devanand ultimately was not a very good director. He had the sense, but he did not read the change in atmosphere, in environment. The world had changed. So he could have actually gone for characterization and played mature roles, which he did not. And in a certain way, I think he suffered because of that megalomania. So his career, it sounds like in late career, he made some films that were perhaps less than memorable. Am I right in assuming that for most people, though, the Devananda of the 1960s is the Devananda people remember? Yes, I think uh, the Devananda of 1960s is what most people remember. And, and that's what people... They, of course, remember him for uh, his charm, for his sophistication, for also uh, his public persona also was so nice, so graceful. He was always above board. There were never any talk about him uh, not paying his income tax or doing something silly with any kind of a opposite sex star or something. Everybody praised him because he was basically very well groomed and was basically a good human being. But uh, not many people actually remember uh, any of his films from somewhere around, I think, 1980s onwards. The last 30 years, I think, they're forgettable films. Films like Ham Nojawan and Lashkar 
and uh, things like Avval Number or Gangster, Charge Sheet, all these films people, I think they just uh, sunk, they sunk. Only thing is that he made them himself, he directed them himself and also because of the fact that he spent his own money. He made in very small budgets and all and he was earning through his own studio that he could actually invest and that I think is uh, the reason that he went on producing films, went on directing films. But these films were not worth mentioning. Uh, they did not in any way add stature to the great Devanand. Mm. So let's talk about Devanand, the, the person, the private individual. You were fortunate enough to meet him many times. Why don't you talk a little bit about how he came across to you and the sorts of things that you saw him do? Well, uh, personally, I think uh, my uh, feeling is that he, Dilip Kumar, people like Rafi Saab and all, were exceptional human beings. They made you feel uh, somewhat great in their presence. I have always felt that uh, most of the film stars and all, and I've seen many of them from very close quarters, some of them even whom I've helped on their way to stardom have today totally broken off. They've never, once they attained the arc lights and the zeniths of successes, they kind of shun their doors on their friends. But this man, I was an absolute stranger. My first meeting with him was that I just came across some media guy who had his number and I just took it from him. And these were days of landlines. And uh, very hesitatingly, I uh, dialed that number. And from that other side came that very cherubic, very stylized and very well-known uh, voice, which was very deeply ingrained in my psyche. And it said, hello, Dave here. Who is it? So, you know, for a moment or so, I was zapped because I didn't expect this, that Zevaran would be picking up the phone. A superstar, a celebrity, somebody whom I had seen when I was in my nappies from that time onwards. So, in my 40s and all, I went there and I was, um, was zapped. So, it took me a moment and then the uh, sound came again. And then I took hold of the... Uh, microphone and I said, sir, can I, uh, I'm so-and-so and I'm uh, a documentary filmmaker. Can I meet you sometime? He said, of course, why not? And uh, when would you like to come in? So I said, I was uh, literally uh, short of words. I wanted him to say yes and I would have run up to him at that particular moment like a young boy. And he said, well, tomorrow afternoon, four o'clock would be fine with you. I said, yes. And I have always uh, been very particular to, because I have studied in a convent school and I've been very close to Jesuit priests who always kept everything according to a very strict schedule. So I am particular that I reach well in time. So I, And this was a meeting to be with Devanand, the great Devanand. So I reached there at least about half an hour before. When I reached his office, I was zapped that at the moment I gave my card in, that man said, yes, he's expecting you, he's there. My experience over the years of the film industry, especially the Hindi film industry, has been that they keep you waiting even if they're sitting inside because they want to show you their importance. The second thing is that they don't pick up their phones themselves. It's always their servant or their uh, secretary. And they will always unnecessarily show off that the star is in a meeting, is in a story session, or is in a music 
session or something of that sort. But here was Devanand. He had already told the doorman that this would be the person, send him in straight away. And we sat down and we talked. And I was literally floored by the manner in which he hugged me and then spoke to me. And we, I thought he would give me about 15, 20 minutes. We shared almost three cups of coffee. I spent about close to two hours with him. And he gave me a very nice compliment. He said, son, you um, speak very well and uh, your language skills are very good. So I told him, I said, sir, I, my father knew nine languages and uh, I know only four. And so I consider myself a misfit, in fact, uh, but you're saying, so is a great compliment coming from you. It's a great compliment. He said, no, no, this speaks volumes about your parents. And then he got talking to me about my parents and all. And the moment he learned that they were from pre-partition India, from Lailpur, it was like I was talking to a family senior. And he said, uh, throughout my life, on the six or seven occasions that I met him, whenever I used to go down to Bombay, and be there for my post-production work for long, say 15 days, 20 days. I would always make it a point to meet him sometime or the other. And he was always very accommodative, very caring, would pour the coffee with his own hands from the kettle, uh, put the sugar and, and the small little things which make you feel very nice because a great man making somebody feel not wanted is a regular phenomenon, but somebody making you feel wanted, cared for, is something really very special. And I would like to mention a couple of other occasions. Once I had an appointment with him, I had told him that I had come to Bombay and I was there for a few years, uh, for a few days, sorry. And he said, well, yeah, let's meet on such and such day. On the appointed day, we were supposed to meet around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. But at around 11, I got a call. And I got a call from him. And it said, Deepak, I'm sorry, I'm running a fever. It's about 100 degrees or so. And uh, I don't want you to waste your time. Go ahead with any other schedule. Let me take rest. And once I'm fit and fine another couple of days or so, I'll see to it that uh, we talk to each other and then we meet. After I put my phone down, I introspected. I was a nobody compared to this phenomena who has known the world over. And yet this man had the dignity and the you know uh, simplicity and the care and the sensitivity to inform me just because he feels that i have come from outside maybe i can utilize my time better rather than coming all the way to his place trekking about 15 16 kilometers and then finding out that he was not there now this was something which literally floored me and the other time was also in 2010 which was my last meeting when um, he, I said, I came to know that you are have recolored your old film, Hamdono, which of course remains a delight till this day for me. He said, yes. I said, uh, I would love to see it. He said, why don't you come in to Bombay and uh, join me at the premiere? So I said, okay, when is it? He gave me the time and date and it was there at Infinity in Andheri. And on the appointed day, I was there, but I was a little hesitant and also doubting within myself what would be the kind of reception I would get, whether there would be a place or something of that sort. When I reached Infinity, the cinema hall, I said, my name is so-and-so and Mr. Devanand has asked me to come. And I had no invitation card or anything. And the man said, yes, your name is there. You please come in. And the best thing was, when I went in, I greeted him, I met him, everything and all was there. And there was a horde of stars from Dharmendra and Salman Khan to... Amir Khan, everybody was there. 
And in the midst of that entire gathering, he kind of waved at me and he said, look, son, uh, I am a little busy. I'll be preoccupied with press and media, but see to it that uh, you take dinner. Now, this speaks volumes about the character of the man. What a gentleman in such a circumstance where he is overloaded, flash bulbs of the media, the television crews are there, the uh, newspaper reporters are there. And in that kind of frenzy, he has the time to think of me. And I'm very sad to say that he was uh, taking me up as an associate director for his next uh, project. Of course, I was uh, very happy because he said, we'll shoot overseas in US and Russia. But uh, the last call was, he said, you move over to Bombay and make it your base. And then I'll see to it that you get money from financiers for your own project because I had spoken to him that I have a couple of sp uh, scripts of my own which I'd like to now direct after so many documentaries and all I'd like to make a feature film so he said learn the ropes because there are lots of things to be learned in making of feature films and I'll lead you by my own hand so join me and I was really really looking up to it but then came the unfortunate news that he had died in London and that was it but oh, hats so off to this fellow. Yeah. yeah. But he uh, was, yeah. to me, a very, 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 very cherished human being. Somebody with whom the moments are held in very dear memory in the finest inner recesses of my mind. And somebody from whom I learned a lot about discipline, about being gentle, about being caring, and just about being humane. Very nice. And, uh, the moments are really cherished forever. They're really wonderful anecdotes. And I think, you know, for me, listening to those experiences, it transcends just courtesy. I mean, it, for me, he was, based on those experiences, must have been a man of significant empathy, you know, a very caring person to, yeah. to take the time and be that thoughtful yeah. to all the people around him. It's really wonderful. Yes. He was really somebody who personified his name. Devanand in, in, in uh, you know, translated, it's a Hindi word, means the Lord of joy. And I think he was an eternal fountain of joy. So this has been a really wonderful conversation and I've learned a lot. Like I said earlier, this is my first encounter with Devanand's work and this conversation has been um, you know, really illuminating, and I have this appetite now to watch more of his films. Actually, if you, I mean, what are your particular favourites when you look at his body of work? Which are the films that are really special for you? As I said, Guide, of course, Ham Dono, Tere Ghar Ke Samne, Fantouche, because it's a lot of comedy, and he really shows his skills there. Then uh, Andhya, not many people has seen have seen it. Bombay Ka Babu, where I said that it has incestual overtones, this kind of a role being taken by a person and he's also a thief in that particular film. So uh, these are some of my uh, personal favorites. I uh, also loved him in uh, most of the romantic films because he was such a charming lover boy, somebody who really personified joy of romance on screen and the manner in which he serenaded or quoted the girls was something which really brought a kind of uh, intense uh, 
uh, he did not uh, kind of arouse your baser instinct he kind of uh, aroused a sense of contentment a sense of fulfillment a sense of desire and hope in a very positive manner and i would say most of the people must see these films even a film called kinare kinare is something which i really like some people of course uh, suggest gambler or johnny mera naam and all but these are commercial successes but i loved him in cid kala bazar kala pani kala pani is a favorite of mine also because of the fact he and uh, madhubala that uh, you know goddess of uh, beauty madhubala what divine pairing they are on the screen and the chemistry that they exude and in that kala pani there is one particular uh, duet which i would ask everybody and especially if you are also julian wanting to improve your <laughs> knowledge of devanan i think you should see that uh, song sequence acha ji main hari chalo maan jao na what a beautiful picturization by raj kosla what wonderful enactment by the two and wonderful music by st banman wonderful lyrics by majru sultanpuri but extraordinary rendition by asha bhosle and rafi saab extraordinary rendition and brought alive on screen so mesmeric so charming that you would love to rewind all the time and also another all time favorite of mine abhi na jao chhod ke ke dil abhi bhara nahi from hum dono where he and sadna he wants her to stay but the night is you know falling on the sun has set the girl wants to go back home what a beautiful duet written by sahir executed by jaydev and wonderfully renditioned by again asha bhosle and rafi saab so these are things which will linger on to me till my dying day and for me he was not just a romantic you know a metaphor for romance on screen but also a metaphor of hope and joy and somebody whom i always cherish in my memories as also a very very good human being a fountain of joy as i said earlier so i know what i'll be doing right after we record this i'll be jumping onto youtube and having a look at those songs that you just suggested and i will put links in the show notes as well so that if you're interested in uh following along i'll uh, i'll make sure that we link off to those particular songs that deepak just mentioned oh i i i'm flattered actually and uh, so nice of you julian uh, some wonderful questions and all revived my nostalgia my memories and i hope i have not been too long but uh, you can understand my feelings of a man my eyes are moist at the moment just remembering him but uh, i really loved him i really loved him and i really looked up to him thank you so much for this conversation it's been absolutely wonderful thank you thank you so much and i hope everybody enjoys it wherever they listen to it you've been listening to conversing cinema with deepak mahan and me julian coldry we'd love to hear from you if you have any questions or comments you can email us at podcast@conversingcinema.in don't forget to subscribe leave a review or rating and most importantly share us with your friends Conversing Cinema is produced and edited by Julian Coldrey and Deepak Mahan. Music is by Deepak Mahan. See you next time.